Welcome to the Living to 100 Club podcast. Here's our host, Dr. Joseph Cassiani. Well, hello to everyone joining us today on our podcast. You're listening to the Living to 100 Club, and I'm your host, Joe Cassiani. If you're looking for inspiration about your future and staying positive when hit with setbacks, you're in the right place. We're here to help you get the best out of all the years we are given, regardless of what obstacles come our way. From my articles and podcasts to our club membership, I want to invite you to join our community and stay uplifted about aging and keep a positive mindset in all you do. Today, we're talking with Margaret Novak, widely recognized as the founder of the senior move management industry and the author of the recently published and award-winning book, Squint, Revisioning the Second Half of Life. Just a little background on Margaret. Margaret is an entrepreneur, thought leader, and industry founder in senior move management. After decades in the field of aging, she moved away from her life of work and title to a new role, author, speaker, and champion of a revisioned picture of aging. Squint, Revisioning the Second Half of Life is her first book. Margaret lives with her husband and three dogs, a retired Greyhound racer and two puppy mill rescues. She divides her time between Philadelphia, Pennsylvania and the Eastern Shore of Maryland, where she loves kayaking upwind. To learn more about Margaret and Squint, please visit MargaretNovak.com. Margaret, we're thrilled to have you with our program today. Welcome to our show. Thank you. I'm delighted to be here. Great, great. Yeah, I'd love to start my programs by asking our guests to tell us a little bit about the journey that brought you to where you are today. I've had a wonderful journey. I think everyone dreams of having a business or a career or a job that they never want to leave. Uh, They never want to retire from. Um, I had that and I did not always have that in my life. So when I when I started moving solutions, and that is how I felt about what I did and what we were accomplishing, both for the industry and for the clients, I knew how special it was. I know how many people go through life getting a paycheck and counting the, the years and months and hours until they retire. And I love what I did. So I got here because I was successful and did every entrepreneur's dream of found, sold my business, which meant I had to figure out what I wanted to do next. The, the selling of the business occurred about three years ago. I worked with the uh, acquiring company for about a year and a half. And right before COVID hit, they determined that the original owners were no longer going to work there, which always happens when your business is acquired. And boom, it was COVID. So all of a sudden I was without title and without work. And I always felt I would need to leave moving solutions and go to something. I always felt that I wouldn't do well if I didn't have a goal and know where I was going. But that's not the way it worked. Um, I didn't have my goal set out. I did work on writing Squint, which was very, very gratifying. But to my almost to my embarrassment, I've done amazingly well without on this journey that seems not to be as focused as I would like and not to have as much purpose as I would like and hope 
that I will have more, but I found that you just have to do the journey sometimes. And I've been more mindful of my husband and more appreciative. We've, we've said, if not now, when are we going to enjoy each other? That was a gift of COVID, I think, for us to stop and say, look what we have to be grateful for. And I'm not sure where I will end up, but uh, I'm on the journey. So yeah. that's how I got here. And it was a great journey. I feel yeah. very lucky. Sounds like quite a ride. I see some parallels between your path and mine. I sold my practice. I had a company that worked in nursing homes and I sold that in 2019. And six months later, COVID came along and sharply restricted access to long-term care facilities. So um, I too was looking at new new roads and um, you know I found my Living 200 Club. So similar similar pathways. So the senior move uh, industry and you work with seniors for so many years, help them with their moves and downsizing. Let me ask you, what did you learn about aging and moving on in our senior years? I think what I learned surprised me because I, le I learned many things over the years, but I learned something at the end of my career um, when my husband had a severe heart attack, which, which happened three years ago. And we had made a decision. We had bought a home by the shore, which we were very excited about. It had been a dream come true. And we had made a decision to move to a senior living community because we wanted to have lock and go. So we were upsizing, we were downsizing our belongings so we could upsize our lives. It was the perfect lifestyle decision made for all the right reasons. What could go wrong? Timing was perfect. And then he had a severe heart attack, almost died. We didn't know for a while if he would live. And fast forward, he had a triple bypass, although he had a lot of comorbidities, but he's fine. He's doing great. We're both doing well, uh, but the move occurred. We had committed to move to the community. I couldn't go back to our three-story stone colonials. So even though we were, in, instead of moving in the best of circumstances in a literal heartbeat, we were moving under the worst of circumstances, which happened to so many of my clients. So many people would call me as a move manager because someone had just passed away or someone had gotten a bad diagnosis. Instead of making the decision when things were going well, they made the decision and, and implemented that at some of the hardest times of their life. So my move was very imperfect. Uh, a lot of things ended up coming to my new home that I later said probably shouldn't have. And I dealt with some of them and I haven't dealt with others. And I realized it didn't matter. I got to my new home. I was enjoying life in the community. And I realized that waiting for perfection is fruit fruitless because you can never make it perfect timing. You can't sell your house one in the morning, settling the morning and move in the afternoon. It never works out like that. And don't wait for the perfect time or the perfect downsizing that plan B is often a better plan. And plan C sometimes is becomes a terrific plan because while you're waiting for perfection, you're missing out on experiences and connecting with people. So I've learned no longer to say, is it the perfect timing? But 
do I want to lose this opportunity for an experience or a connection? And that's how I think about opportunities now. Like I've never done that before. Why shouldn't I? Yeah, you've learned a lot of things about advising people with planning and plan A, going to plan B. So you applied some of that advice to yourself. You and your husband had to adjust. You thought you had the perfect plan and now you're going to plan B or plan C. That's right. That's that's an important lesson. I can see that. That's an important lesson. We do, we do need the plans, right? We do need to have them in place, but be prepared. And to, for people not to be so hard on themselves about what they have to do. I thought about the fact that I now participate in a virtual training program with five other people. Um, and unlike the videos where people are smiling while they exercise, we grunt and groan. We make funny comments. So I could have done gotten videos for free and done them at my own schedule, but it wasn't working for me. I just wasn't doing it. I joined this virtual training group where we actually are there, we Zoom, so we're together. We have, a, we have the connection with other people and I'm doing it. I'm meeting my fitness goals. And it hits me that a lot of people are going, I've got to accomplish this. I have to clean out my basement. I have to do this. They, and, and they have to do it by themselves. And it's made me think, if you have to pay to get other outside help to do something, do it. I'm, I'm not ashamed that I'm paying for my personal training. I'm proud that I'm meeting my goals. It's reframing what you're doing to say, I don't have to accomplish everything on my own. I'm accomplishing my goal now. And if I'm not doing it the same way you accomplish your goal, that's fine. This is what works for me. A lot of it is about reframing, isn't it? It's, it is. You can interpret an event in so many different ways. And how do we want to interpret that? How do we explain that to ourselves? So we can reframe it from a negative to a positive kind of opportunity. Sure. So moving on is so difficult for many people who have to sell their homes unexpectedly or even anticipated to sell their homes. It's still hard to move on and give up those familiar possessions. What's the overriding message that you would offer to people who are, you know, just kind of holding on to that current lifestyle and independence? Well, first, when people move to senior living communities, they're not giving up independence. There is some structure, but they are living independently. I think my, my guidance would be most of us don't use our homes. We use our master. We use the main bedroom, the kitchen, and a family room. And the rest of the home sort of goes for the ride in most cases. Uh, And the things around our home are not what makes our life rich. The people in our lives and the experiences we do are what enrich our lives. And things are not people. When I decided to part, I had kept a set of Rosenthal china for my mom for 40 years after she passed away. And it was her pride and joy. It was service for 16. It had a gold rim around it and a little dainty floral pattern. And all of that meant that it couldn't go in the microwave and it couldn't go in the dishwasher. So I never used it. And it finally hit me that I'm not honoring my mother by keeping her dishes in a box in the garage. So after four decades of just moving them along, I kept one serving piece and donated the rest to a thrift store 
whose purpose my mother would have felt good about. And I said, that's honoring my mom more than keeping something in the basement. Yeah, it's the memories, right? I read your book and we'll talk about it a little bit more, but I remember the story about the cake plate that you inherited from your mother and how important it was and how special it was your favorite cake plate. Until it broke. It broke, yeah. And as you described it, it was the memory that that offered. That was really the pleasure. That was really the joy. And not the material possession, per se, not the object, per se, but the memories that, that were involved with that event. So and interestingly, I don't hear people who have moved and downsized saying, woe is me, I really missed the two extra sets of dishes that I parted with. Woe is me, I don't have a fish um, poacher. Well, I mean, woe is me, I don't have a Dutch oven, two Dutch ovens anymore. No one is going around saying I miss those things. They're busy doing things. Yeah, the interesting story I heard, uh, someone who moved from a large home into a senior living facility, and she had trouble giving up her, her possessions, her furniture, all of her belongings. And someone advised her, well, look, take pictures of those things, and you'll always have the pictures. And she said, well, I did just that. I took all the pictures and I've been here for several years and I haven't looked at the pictures once. But those pictures enabled her to let go. So they were a good, I won't use the word crutch, but they were a tool that helped her. Kind of a bridge. Yeah. Yeah. A bridge. Yes. Sure. Sure. I wonder if you could share some of the stories with our audience, some of the memorable stories. Uh, people you interacted with over those years with senior moves? We had lots of memorable memorable stories, and uh, I'll share two of them. Now, the bulk of the people that we moved were um, moving to independent living. One person that, one thing I always remember, this this happened to be a move when we were helping clear out um, a home the father had been, was not an independent. He was in memory care. And we saw on the wall what was a plaque from the patent office, US patent office, and I read it and it was kind of technical, but I said, I looked at the daughter who was with us and said, did your father invent the pacemaker? And she said, one of the prototypes. And it really hit me that we are looking at one chapter in a very long book that has had some really exciting and important chapters. So those types of experiences helped us not see someone only in this phase of their life, but to understand how brilliant they were and what they had accomplished. Another favorite story is someone that I helped move into a senior living community in his early 80s. Um, And he was very involved in directing the move and moved into a lovely two bedroom apartment with Lots of wonderful things from his home. And I heard from him again about 18 years later when he called and he said, "Um, I would like help moving internally in the community because I'm in the building that's farthest from the dining room and the main areas. And I'm finding that I'm not going to as many meals and I'm not going to as many activities. And he said, Although I'm 100, I don't want my life to get smaller. And I love that at 100, his fear was my life is getting smaller. So we went to meet with him and um, we went over to the new apartment 
I he I said, should I take notes? He zips out, whips out his iPhone and says, no, I'll use the note function here. Uh, I said, do you need both com both of your computers? He said, yes, I'm working on two new inventions. He was an inventor. I said, what about the two keyboards? He said, I compose several hours a day. He clearly has the formula for an engaged life. And when he got some calls from, you know, trying to sell car, a car extended warranty, we said, you know, there's a way to fix, to make it so you don't get those calls. He hands us his phone and he doesn't say, do it for me. He says, show me how to do it. And we walked away saying, we want to be 100 exactly the way he is 100. Mm. And you could say, oh, he's got great genes. And, but he also, I use the expression, buys a ticket. He also stays engaged. He's taking responsibility at 100 to create an environment where he has easier access to things that he will find meaningful. He is living that life of engagement in part because he takes responsibility for creating an opportunity for engagement. And I think that's important as we get older. We have to be mindful of creating a structure that allows us to have meaning and, and fulfillment. We can't just say, I wish I had it. We have to take some responsibility. Yeah, no, I agree. It's, you know, the notion of engagement, staying engaged is so important at any age. But to me, let's take the chronological age out of the picture, right? He's that's right. He's a 100-year-old man, but who cares? Because he's living his life fully engaged and he's learning and he's contributing and he feels good. And he sees rewards in what he's doing and he contributes. And that's what's, that's what's beautiful about this. That's, yeah. It was. So that was one of my memorable stories. 10-year-old, sure, sure. Yeah. So you shifted away from that senior move management and um, looking now at aging and positive aging. So tell us about the possibilities that lie ahead. What are, what are some of the opportunities that we face post-retirement? I think the opportunities are to recognize what's out there and to create I think the opportunity goes hand in hand with the responsibility um, and intentionality. As people get older, it's harder to make new friends. When I was young, I made friends automatically because we had kids the same age. I had my work friends, my work wives. And recently I was in a book club and we had talked about one part of the book and where and a woman had been in the book, a woman had been beaten by her husband. And afterwards, one of the women said that her father um, was an alcoholic who beat her mother. And I thought about the fact that I had seen this woman a hundred times walking my dogs and we talked about the weather, but nothing deeper than that. I didn't consider her a friend. I considered her an acquaintance. And I thought about that it took creating a safe space to get to know someone better. It's rewarding to make new friends because you have to have a new friend in order for them to soon become an old friend. And it was exciting to have new friends. But I thought about the fact that I can't, again, I can't just wish it would happen. I have to take some time and 
invite someone over and I have to be willing to share personal things or more meaningful things myself in order to create those meaningful relationships. And it was exciting to realize that I have more of those coming in my life. If I can have, if I can be intentional, they're there, they're out there. And that was exciting. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of getting out of our comfort zone in some ways to realize this is going to take some work. It's not going to be like it was when I was a young adult or middle-aged adult. I really am going to have to apply myself and be determined and motivated to take on these things. They're not going to come knocking on our door, right? We, we understand that, but they're out there. And I, you know, as you say, they're out there. So one of the other, one of the other opportunities of this phase is for those of us who were the, well, I was a person that postponed a lot of things until later, until I retire. I'll get regular exercise when I retire. I'll be more mindful of, of getting back to friends and creating time for people when I retire. I put a lot of things out there because for the future, because I was so busy and I was so willing to give whatever my work required. And the more a, a job or a business will take as much as you want to give it. If you, as much as you want to give up, it will absorb. If you want to be, um, on your phone or thinking about work all the time, it will absorb it. And I gave a lot of my mind and my heart to my business. And I didn't regret it at the time, but I realized that this is my time to do those things. And not only am I free to do them, it's important to do them. I wrote courses on aging well. It requires you just physical fitness, people talk about it, but my muscle loss in my seventies and late sixties is, is very different from what it was like to go from 50 to 60. If I want to be able to do the things that I like, I really have to take it seriously. And I, I knew this intellectually, but now I've said, okay, Margaret, put your money where, the, where your mouth is. If you want to be vibrant at 75 and 70 and 80, you're going to have to do regular exercise because it, your body is otherwise your body is going to decline. So um, it's been an opportunity to do that. And, and some, some thankfulness that I have the time to do it. Sure. Sure. That's such an important message that we have to work at it. It's not going to be easy and to stay healthy and vibrant and resourceful. It does take some work and, like I said a minute ago, that determination and, and motivation. Now, you also have talked about people who are depressed and not wanting to, they don't look forward to getting older. They don't, they don't look forward to aging and, you know, aging in place or moving to another location. What kind of thoughts or recommendations do you have to maybe help those folks a little bit? Well, I think a lot of us have, I guess I call it internal ageism. Our mm -hmm. thoughts of what it of what this phase in life means. And I think that, that brings on our sense of, I, I, I don't wanna think about myself as being older or less capable. And internal ageism is, it, it affects the language we use. It's how we see ourselves. I can look at my skin when I'm doing an exercise and I go, 
whose wrinkled skin is that? And then I go, oh, that's mine. Um, it looks like a Sharpay. And, and I can be upset by it or go, it's fine. It is what it is. I think it's very hard when people are in chronic pain. I think that's very challenging. But for many of life's issues, it's, it's, it's whether you want to try to keep life big. When my husband needed a hip replacement about six months before he had the replacement, he said, you know, we're not doing things and we're not going places because of how much my challenges in walking. He said, our lives are getting smaller. Let's get a mobile cart, a scooter. I was astonished because if I had suggested it, I thought there was no way he would be receptive. So I instantly got on Facebook Marketplace and a week later, we had ourselves a mobile scooter and we were back on going to the boardwalk and, and going, taking the scooter on trips and doing things. And I see so many people who say, I would never do that. As if using a scooter is making some kind of statement. And to me, it makes a statement of you want to be in control and you want to go places. So you found a way to accomplish that. It's the person who's made, who's not, who doesn't use a scooter and doesn't go out. They're the one I feel badly about, not the person who does. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's so important because that idea of implicit bias or internal ageism and how we hold on to those stereotypes about what aging means. And we know years ago, we used to think of aging as, you know, decline and we become frail and dependent and, you know, needy and, you know, requiring a lot of resources. And now that, that bias is going away, it's evaporating and we're starting to see the positives and let's celebrate aging, right? Let's look at these upsides and the opportunities. And I, I think that's, that's really important for the person who feels depressed or discouraged or, you know, pessimistic about his or her future, because maybe they are wearing these blinders and all they see is what's wrong. And let's take the blinders off and let's look at the whole picture. There's a lot of good that comes with advancing years, as we talked about the wisdom and the decision-making, the judgment, all of that. I, I got a lot out of looking backward in, in writing Squint. Um, and I think looking backward is a, a worthwhile thing for people to do as they get older because it, it helps you have a lot more peace. It, it, you have a different perspective. And often people feel better about parts of their life when they look at it with this perspective they have today. Um, so I do suggest I, uh, that people take that time to think about some of the experiences in their life, the, the good ones and the bad ones, because so often it had, you have a different perspective as you were older. And we can think about being young. When I say to people, would you like to be 15 again or 18 again? They uniformly say, no way. It was too hard. And people my age are the happy, happier than people who are younger. I mean, this is a generalization, but studies have shown that there's more satisfaction. If you said to me in my 40s, so-and-so doesn't like you, I would have been upset. Now I go, well, not everyone's going to like me. You just get more self-satisfied with who you are, saying I'm probably not going to change. So I've learned to accept who I am. 
Sure. Yeah. And what you're talking about is that life review process, right? That we look back and we see a lot of our successes and a lot of our triumphs and a lot of our accomplishments. And those are important because it helps to put in perspective some of the struggles that we're facing today. We can see, well, we We've succeeded in the past. This is Robert Butler's life review thinking. Right. We, we see those accomplishments and, okay, we can muster up that same strength today and, and probably get over the same hurdles. So that's important, looking back and to apply that to our future. Yeah. So tell us about your book, uh, Squint. What, what prompted you to write the book? I had, I, first of all, I like writing. I like the craft of writing. I like to write something and then edit it and say, can I make it tighter? Can I take out some extra words? Can I create juxtaposition that makes the sentences more interesting? So I like the craft of writing. And I had written blogs over the years and found that I really like telling stories that are part of larger stories. I found it satisfying and I felt that I had some important things to say that would be available to, to people depending upon the things that resonated with them. So I looked at different parts of my life and different stories that came from memoirs or things with my business and grouped them into some logical sections and saw that they all related individually to, to logical, to some bigger themes. Um, and I've had responses as people call me up or email me that different stories are what resonate with them. Two people have, were really struck by the chapter about medication management. We're a really tiny change in my mother-in-law's medication regime really impacted how she saw herself uh, she, when she took 16 medicines every few hours she saw herself as, as an ill person who couldn't go places and do things because she always had to take medicine. When we were able, when her doctor grouped them into just four times a day, she could use a pill organizer and she saw herself as less sick and she started going out and doing more. Mm. And people have said to me, this is exactly what I'm experiencing with my mom or with my, my mother-in-law. In one story, I'm with a daughter who is continually correcting her mother. And I say, hi, Mrs. Smith, how long have you lived in your home? And she goes, 34 years. And the daughter goes, mom, it's 35 years. And I see the mother's face falls, that she's misremembered something. And a few minutes later, the mother is taking me for a tour of her home. And she points to a picture and says, this is my daughter, Ellen. And the, the daughter goes, no, mom, that's Sharon. And again, her mother stops the middle of the story. And I wanted to say, it's not important. She was telling a story. She was enjoying the interaction. And I know that if that daughter thought about it, she would say, you're so right. I shouldn't be correcting her. I should be kind. It's not important that I could... She's telling you a story and whether it's 34 or 35 years doesn't change the story. And I heard from someone who said, this is exactly what I'm doing with my mom. So different people have responded to different parts of it. Um, there are a lot of different themes there and nothing as an author 
nothing is as meaningful to me or as exciting as when people call up or email saying, this really is where I am at life. And uh, that's, I I get very excited about that. Yeah. So you took your talent and passion for writing and put it into the book. And I can see the stories are the personal experiences, things that you've observed, things that you've experienced on your own in your own family. So it's, it's really uplifting to, you know, hear those insights and share those observations because as you say, people read it and they, it touches them. They, it strikes a chord in them too. So it's helpful. Those, those stories can be helpful. Some of them are less, are less emotional. Some of the stories are very personal and they may resonate with people in a very personal way. I talk about my, the things that I did when I raised my kids that I can't forgive myself for decisions that I look back and say, how, why did I make that decision? Why did I act that way? And I thought about how my mother said the same thing. She was tortured about some of the decisions she made as a mom. And I looked back and said to her, you did the best you could. You know, we all got over it. So it was so, yes, I forgave her. She didn't forgive herself. And I'm realizing that my own kids have said, relax, mom. We got this. He's up on yourself. Those are deep things. When we were, when I met with someone, they talked about the fact that her daughter had been killed by a, um, a drunk driver. She had read the book and she said in your chapter about guilt, that about things you did with your children, she said, after my daughter died, I was not there for the next 15 years for my younger son. He grew up eating cereal. I was a not present mother. And she was sharing about as personal a thing as, a, as someone can share. And the story is about saying it's okay to forgive ourselves. We did the best we could. But I felt really honored that she was willing to share that with me. Sure. sure. Yeah, it's easy to look back and find fault with decisions we made or things that we did. As we know, you know, at the time, it seemed like the right thing to do or we, you know, we were dealing with our limited resources or whatever. It seemed like the only thing we could do. So it's easy to find fault and, you know, finger point at what we did in the past. So, yeah, that's good. Advising people to let go of some of that. It's unloading yeah. that burden. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. So you have a, it is a great book, by the way. I really enjoyed it. And really some very highly uh, regarded reviewers of the book and you know people that I respect and have seen over the years in their work so uh, it's a great book I re- recommend it we'll get to that toward the end but uh, let me ask you about this guide for uh, book clubs you have a created discussion book. guide and it's available on the website and it has questions that will help um, prompt some people to to look at some of the issues that are raised groups don't have to use that I think this is a type of book where they'll they'll fall into discussing it all by themselves, but it's available for anyone to download. And you, and some people may like to download it before they read the book um, to give them some things to talk about. Okay. So any of our listeners who may be members of book clubs, that would be a good thing to take on for your group. 
So just um, just quickly, how do you define revisioning our future? Do we talk about setting goals or creating a new vision of what we want? How do, how do we create this new vision for ourselves? I don't know if it's about setting goals, but I think I use the concept of buying a ticket. There's an old joke. And the way I heard it is like someone saying, God, how come you never let me win the lottery? How come you never let me win the lottery? And God says, do me a favor, buy a ticket. You can't win the lottery if you don't buy a ticket, but maybe you can't, we can't. This is not about winning the lottery in life, but maybe it is. Having a, a successful and rewarding life now requires our being. I use the word intention, mindful. We have some responsibility. It does take some action on our part, some creating a mindset, creating a willingness It was interesting. There are pressures about us that sometimes we're not aware of or don't want to even admit. In spite of all my years as a move manager, I never understood that people are also dealing with the disapproval of their friends when they make some decisions about how they're going to age. When we moved into a senior living community, all of our friends disapproved. Oh, maybe that's right for you. Maybe you're willing to give up independence. It's not right for us. Uh, and my husband said, what a, how did we give up independence? The independence to mow? I mean, or people who have used a cane and they're the first one among their friends who use a cane and, and the rest disapprove of it. Um, now, fortunately, I think we're going to make progress with Um, using hearing aids because everyone's got something in their ears now (laughs) hanging out and your hearing aid connects to your phone and your Bluetooth and you can do everything with your hearing aid. You can watch TV. So maybe we'll, because not hearing is an enormous barrier to being connected with people. But I think it's people who will say, I want to enrich my life in all the ways that I can do that. Yeah, to get out of those predictable, familiar places and that we talk about comfort zones and saying that a little differentness is okay. Usually it's okay. I, I was at um, a ferry terminal. It was around three o'clock and they had a little wine bar. And my husband said, go get me a glass of wine. And I said to the woman, I guess I'll get two. And I said, I never drink at three in the afternoon. And she said, well, lady, you're not young. Isn't it time you start? And I thought, well, yes, it is. You know, there's another thing I haven't done in the past that I should start. So maybe it's some, I'm not saying you should drink a a glass of wine at three o'clock, but, but not be, oh no, I don't do that. Yeah. Because we get pretty into our routines. We do. We do. But the unfamiliar, uh, unpredictable is a little bit anxiety arousing, but it's also filled with new opportunities and new doors to open. So I always advocate, let's give up some of those familiar places and knock on some new doors. So we're just about out of time, Margaret. What would you like our listeners to take away from our conversation today? I think there is opportunity. I know it's what you espouse and describe all the time. I hope you will Uh, get a copy of Squint. It's available in paperback or uh, electronic on Amazon or any indie bookstore. And look back at your life um, with different perspective because it is rewarding and it's a great way to move forward. Yeah, Yeah, to look forward, to keep looking forward. I always like the 
saying of Dan Sullivan, who's a professional speaker, he says, our future should be bigger than our past. I saw something the other day and it said, what if the most important thing that you do in your life, you haven't done yet? Sure. Yeah, the past is important. Memories are great. But what do we have in store for tomorrow? Well, as I mentioned, we are out of time. But before we wrap up, I just want to remind our listeners about a few items. I'm pleased to announce a new co-sponsor for our podcast, A Mighty Good Time. Are you looking for ways to engage and stay active? Check out amightygoodtime.com. It's a one-stop shop for events and activities for those 15 over. It's free to search and it's free to post. Amightygoodtime.com. Also, there's a new offering on my website where individuals can arrange one-on-one coaching calls with me to discuss bouncing back from setbacks. How can we tap into our resilient self? How can we find ways to make it over those obstacles we face on our different journeys? Take a look at the work with Dr. Joe Tab on our website, living200.club. And also be sure to subscribe to our email list to receive our newsletter and other announcements. And finally, pick up a copy of my book on Amazon, Living Longer is the New Normal. I think that whatever age you're at, inspiration and a positive mindset can we put to good use? That's my message in the book. Margaret, thanks so much for being a guest. For those who might want to contact you, how can they do that? They can go to margetnovak.com, M-A-R-G-I-T-N-O-V-A-C-K.com. And there's a contact button right there. Great. And an email and your, address. And your book again, Squint, S-Q-U-I-N-T, is available on your yes. website. And available it on is. Well, one click. Yes. Great. Okay. It is. Well, thanks again. And thanks to everyone for listening to this episode. Hope to see you next time. Thank you. Hi, this is Suzanne Newman, host of the Answers for Elders podcast and radio show. We are the North Star that guides you through the complicated journey of senior care with trusted experts in money, law, living solutions, and more. So join us on this station, your favorite podcast channel, or just go to AnswersForElders.com. Meet the way showers who will help your journey a lot easier.